Heavenly Father, as we uh, approach uh, your holy word this morning, uh, Lord, help us, like our series title says, to encounter Jesus today. Whether it be a fresh reminders, encouragements, challenge, Lord, use your word as you speak Christ to us and help us to follow Jesus all our days. In his name we pray, amen. Well, in two or three months' time, God willing, uh, the church family, uh, all of you, uh, will finally get to meet little baby Tan. And I think the first reactions to babies are always really interesting. You get the usual cute, adorable, cuddly, uh, and then you get the first reactions trying to look ahead at what the baby's future is going to be like. He's going to be big, tall, small. He's going to be loud like dad, quiet like mum. He's got mum's eyes, dad's nose. Apparently, that's true already. Uh, mum's face, dad's ears. He's going to be active and sporty like dad or hands-on and creative like mum. On and on and on. Well, as we come to Luke's gospel this morning, usually we skip from the birth of Jesus uh, straight towards adult Jesus and the beginning of his ministry. Uh, but today's passage looks at Jesus as a baby and captures two waiting prophets encountering baby Jesus and their first reactions to baby Jesus. Because even in this part of the life of Jesus, God's revealing to us who exactly Jesus is and he uses that to challenge us as we encounter God's beloved Son. And as we tackle this passage, as we begin a new series, walking through parts of Luke's gospel uh, with a focus of this year's vision, Encountering Jesus, uh, just to look ahead a bit, in term one, uh, we're going to focus on a few different encounters with Jesus from Luke uh, chapters one to nine, uh, digging into what these encounters show us about the person and the work of Jesus. And then in term two, uh, we're going to look more comprehensively at chapters 10 to 19, looking at how disciples of Jesus encounter Jesus as Jesus outlines to his followers what following Jesus really looks like. But as we get started this morning, I want to turn to the start of Luke's gospel for a moment for us to get our bearings in this writing. Who's Luke? Why is Luke writing? And what it means for us as we work through this writing, this gospel account over the next few months. So if your Bibles, have a look at Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 4, right at the beginning. Luke says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from who the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught well, who is Luke? Uh, he doesn't say anything here about himself, but Luke, he's Paul's doctor, 
and one of Paul's traveling companions. He's a Gentile. Uh, He wasn't an eyewitness to Jesus himself. Uh, And the title to Luke's gospel, uh, other church writings, church tradition, they all point to Luke as the author of this writing, this Luke. Luke, he's been with Paul on his travels, which means he spent time with apostles and eyewitnesses to Jesus. He's put together this writing for this guy, Theophilus, a new Gentile believer. Uh, It's probably a sponsored writing that Theophilus paid Luke to put together. And Luke's purpose is this. Verse 3 is to write an orderly account Verse 1, of the things that have been fulfilled in Jesus. Verse 2, handed down from the eyewitnesses and apostles. And verse 4, so that Theophilus and people like him may know and have certainty of the things of Jesus that they have already been taught and handed down to them. In other words, Luke writes a credible and trustworthy account of the person and work of Jesus because, to use our words, he wants us to encounter Jesus, to have certainty about these gospel truths centering on the person and work of Christ. So as we travel through Luke's gospel, uh, both today and over the next few months, my hope is that God would use this part of his word to either give you a confidence injection in Jesus or a clarity moment about Jesus as we encounter the Lord's Christ again and again and again. As we get back to today's passage, uh, let's have a look at verse 22 of chapter 2. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This passage, it follows, if you look before the birth narratives of Jesus, Jesus being circumcised, And here, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they travel from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and they do this in obedience to the law of Moses for two different presentations, one being about Jesus, uh, presenting him as Mary's firstborn, uh, the one who first opens the womb uh, to the temple, and the other presentation being about Mary presenting herself for purification rites, because in Jewish law, a new mother was unclean for seven days after birth and then kept away from holy things for another 33 days. And then after that time is gone, 40 days, they would go to the temple and offer a sacrifice, a lamb and a dove or pigeon, or if you were poor, two doves or pigeons instead. So Jesus here would have been just over 40 days old as they head to the temple And as the day unfolds, we're going to meet two people, two waiting prophets, and learn three things as these prophets encounter Jesus. And the first prophet to encounter Jesus is this guy, Simeon. 
And as Simeon reacts to baby Jesus, his response is key. Because it's not, he's got Mary's eyes, he's cute, cuddly, got a chubby face. His response is far more significant than what anyone can imagine. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. There's a lot of mystery surrounding the Simeon guy. Some say he's a priest. We assume he's old. But the passage doesn't say any of those things. Simeon's pictured as a faithful Jew, one waiting for Israel to be rescued by God's promised Messiah figure. And the Holy Spirit has prophesied to him that he would see this figure, that Simeon would lay eyes on the Messiah, the Christ, before he tasted death. And one day this happens in verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents had brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. See, here we see both of these narratives intersect. Mary and Joseph and Jesus entering the temple and Simeon led by the Spirit into the temple. And we get this moment, Simeon, having waited years and decades to see God's promised one, to see God's Christ, God's rescuer for his people, Israel, finally laying eyes on that person, the baby Jesus, taking him up on his arms, and he declares to God, this is your Christ. This is your set Messiah. Your word has been fulfilled. And for Simeon, he says, now I can die in peace. You see, the waiting prophet Simeon, he encounters Jesus, even baby Jesus, and declares, I've seen God's Messiah. I've seen the one all Israel has been waiting for, seen the one God has been promising to rescue us for all time. As Simeon keeps going, uh, he declares more and more about this Jesus that he's just encountered. In fact, Simeon, he breaks out into a song of blessing, more famously known in Catholic and high liturgy circles as Nunc Dimittis, Latin of the first words here, now depart. And this is Simeon's song. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. You see, here in Simeon's breath blessing, he reveals more about Jesus and his role of Messiah. Because Jesus, in the coming of Christ, 
God's salvation is here. Salvation has come. If you remember, Israel had suffered in languish and captivity for so long, but in Jesus, salvation has come. And this salvation we know today, looking back, that it wasn't just about foreign occupation and rule that they needed rescuing from. Jesus came to save us from our biggest problem, our biggest problem of sin, a problem that existed way back since Genesis 3 in the garden, a problem that marred Israel and all of creation, a problem that God now deals with in Jesus as we've just been reminded of in communion. You see, Jesus isn't just a good teacher. He isn't just a good example to follow. Jesus is saviour. Jesus saves us from our sins. And he does this by dying on the cross in our place, paying for the penalty of sin in our place, dealing for sin once for all in his death, and rising again to show that death has been defeated once for all, offering all who trust in him life instead of death, heaven instead of hell, eternity in paradise instead of hell and judgment. We have to remember that Jesus is saviour. And Simeon goes on, he shows the scope of Jesus as saviour. Because Jesus, he's much more than just the consolation of Israel. Jesus, he's God's salvation for all peoples. Glory to Israel, which was always Israel's hope for God's promised one to rescue and redeem them. But Jesus, he's also a light to the Gentiles. There's a worldwide scope to God's salvation. Because Jesus is God's saviour for all peoples. Just as Isaiah foretold in chapter 49, verse 6 of God's Messiah. Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may be reached to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus is the saviour for all peoples, Jews, Israel, and Gentiles, all nations. That's what Simeon highlights here about Jesus. And you know, we should all be thankful of this today because I'm pretty sure all of us today, we're not Jews, we're Gentiles. And Jesus came to save not just Jews, but Gentiles also. He's the saviour of all peoples. And we need to be reminded too, day by day, that Jesus really is the saviour for all peoples. He's the saviour Aussies need. He's the saviour Asians need, that Africans need. Even Kiwis need Jesus. He's the saviour that the well-off need that the poor need, that the healthy need, that the sick need, that the successful need, that the struggling need, that the ones curious about Jesus need, that the ones with hardened hearts to Jesus also need. He's the saviour that the marginalised need too, 
those with social struggles, those who are confused with gender, those struggling in endless cycles of trauma and abuse, those who we see as weird or undesirable. Jesus is the saviour of all peoples. All peoples need Jesus, and Jesus came that all may have life if they trust in him. How does this comfort and challenge you today as we encounter this Jesus, the saviour for all peoples this morning? As we keep going, Simeon keeps going about Jesus. He turns to Mary and Joseph, and he continues to build on this role of Jesus as Messiah. Verse 33, and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Seems that even Mary and Joseph, they were still learning themselves about who Jesus would be as God's promised one. Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword that will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You see, as Messiah, Simeon also promises that Jesus would be the great divider. Not that Jesus would cause offense and division, but Jesus' role is explicitly to do this. Jesus, he's going to divide Israel and ultimately the world. Some will fall, others will rise. Jesus, as God's son, will divide the world into two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and sin and death, the fall and the kingdom of light and life and salvation, the ones rising up, just as Ken mentioned in communion too. And Jesus does this by a sign that is opposed. The sign, I think, being Jesus' work on the cross, dying, rising again, the moment where salvation is won, the message of the gospel that is accepted by some but a sign opposed by many. This sign, the cross, the death of Jesus that would pierce Mary's soul, seeing her son die on the cross. This sign that would reveal thoughts from many hearts as people respond to the cross of Jesus, showing where exactly people stand, either in the light or in darkness as they respond to the cross of Jesus. There are things that cause great division in our world. Those who support Queensland or New South Wales, Australia or New Zealand, those who love or hate coriander, those who think pineapple belongs on pizza or not. You see, a Simeon encounters Jesus he sees Jesus as the great divider, the great separator and disruptor. You see, Jesus is going to ruffle feathers. Some will rise, accepting Jesus and his saving work on the cross, showing themselves to be part of God's people, part of God's kingdom, walking in the light and finding comfort 
and assurance and refuge in the gospel. But others will fall too. People rejecting Jesus and his saving work on the cross, showing themselves not to be in, but to be outside of God's people, part of this kingdom of darkness, of sin, stumbling in their pride and heading towards judgment. You see, if we truly encounter Jesus as the great divider, this has huge implications, doesn't it? It grows a level of seriousness and urgency about our situation. Because if Jesus truly is a great divider, then it's such an important question, where do you sit with Jesus today? Because there's no such thing as on the fence, you're either in or out, you either believe or you don't, you either trust in Jesus and live for him as Lord and Saviour, or you don't. And if Jesus is truly the great divider, then that should colour how we see our world today. Our family members, our friends, our colleagues, those who we brush shoulders with. Because as we see the world, in one sense it's actually not colour, it's black and white. People either accept Jesus and they're heading towards this reality of heaven, or they reject Jesus and they're heading towards a reality of hell. And this should drive us to urgency in our evangelism and calling people to Christ. You never know what happens in life. Tony Pang passed away last year at 73. Had a contact from my friend's church, suddenly die out of nowhere around 47, 48 years old. Had another contact, close friends of many friends, suddenly die out of nowhere in their early 40s last year. We don't know what life brings, but we know that everyone's eternal reality depends on how they respond to Jesus. He is the saviour of all peoples, but he's also the great divider. How people respond to Jesus is a response that has eternal consequences. Jesus is indeed the great divider because there's only two ways to live. Clinging to Jesus in the cross of Christ or without Jesus rejecting the cross of Christ. So as we encounter this Jesus today, how does this challenge how you live for Christ? We come to the end of the passage, the last few verses, and the spotlight moves from Simeon to Anna. And Luke records this, I think, on purpose because a credible testimony includes having two witnesses. And with Simeon and Anna, we have two witnesses, a man and a woman, corroborating testimony in this encounter of Jesus. And Anna's begins like this in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting 
and prayer night and day. While Anna is relatively unknown and never mentioned again in the Bible, uh, she sounds like a fairly prominent person. She's a prophetess, a title second only to apostle. She's fairly easy to track down historically to verify if this is true or not. She's the daughter of Phanuel, tribe of Asher. Her husband died young. She's been a faithful widow for decades, never missing a chance to worship at the temple. And here we have Anna's encounter with Jesus in verse 38. It's very quick. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, Anna, she makes her way up to the temple as she always did. And she did this on this day. At the same time, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, and probably Simeon were there. And we don't know what exactly happens. Maybe she overhears Simeon speaking, or she gets to see and hold Jesus herself. But whatever happened, Anna's response here is that she praises God. She praises God for the coming of Jesus, the coming of God's Messiah, the coming of the Savior and the divider of all peoples, the redemption of Jerusalem code word for God's Messiah. And then she turns to others, other Jews waiting for this Messiah, and she tells them that this guy, this figure, the Messiah, the consolation and redemption of Jerusalem had come in Jesus. You see, both Simeon and Anna, they were waiting prophets waiting for God's Messiah to appear. And in encountering Jesus, they both declare, this is him. This is the Christ. This is God's promised Messiah, the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem. He's here in Jesus. And as we encounter Jesus today, reading this passage... Luke today reminds us that Jesus indeed is God's long-awaited Messiah. We've seen this, we know this in the work of the Messiah, in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension to the throne, defeating not just political enemies, but the greatest enemy of sin and death, establishing not a physical land or kingdom, but an eternal kingdom that one day we'll enjoy in the new creation. Also, Jesus today offers salvation to all peoples. We've seen this. We ourselves are witnesses to this. As the gospel has gone forth from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, even this mixed bunch of people here today in Brisbane, Australia, of all places, gathering to worship Jesus, the Messiah. And today, Jesus divides the world. It's much more clear, I think, in the West over the past 10 years, but it's been like that in churches and church in places, in other places around the world for centuries and more. We see two results 
from two responses to Jesus. Those who are lost without him facing judgment and those who are alive in him facing eternal life. It's exactly as these prophets saw in Jesus. He's God's Messiah, Redeemer, Comforter, and Rescuer. He's the Savior of all peoples, and he's the great divider. And while we've applied these points throughout today's sermon, I want to summarize quickly with three responses to finish off as we encounter Jesus as God's long-awaited Messiah. You see, if Jesus is indeed God's Messiah, we're to turn to him. We're to see Jesus as who he is and put our trust in him as Lord and Saviour. Many of you have done this this morning, but maybe you haven't yet. Maybe you have a long time ago, but it doesn't affect your life too much today. God's word calls us to turn to Jesus today. What are you waiting for? What's stopping you? What more do you need to know? Trusting in Jesus isn't just a random choice. It has eternal consequences. Turn to Jesus today. Maybe this morning you've already turned to Jesus, but you're in need of comfort and rescue. Maybe you come to church this morning a bit battered and bruised. Well, God's word today also calls you to turn to Jesus. He's God's Messiah. He's the consolation of Israel, the redeemer of Jerusalem. Where do we find comfort and rescue other than Jesus? Turn to him. So we keep going. If Jesus is indeed God's Messiah, then we're to give thanks to God for Jesus. Simeon, especially Anna, respond in giving thanks to God for Jesus. Jesus is the center of their praise because he is God's promised one they were waiting for. He's the one bringing and working the most important thing, God's salvation. And we know this as we gaze at the cross of Jesus, God working salvation in sinful people like us through the blood of Jesus. If you read other parts of the New Testament, it presents believers, Christians, followers of Jesus as people filled with thanks to God. And this thanksgiving, if you read the New Testament, it's not just for God's creation. It's not just for God's material blessings. It's not just for prosperity. It's not just for good health. It's not just for the good things in life. But giving thanks especially, primarily, for working life and salvation in us through Jesus. Let me ask you, how's your thankfulness to God for Jesus today? When's the last time you said to God, thank you for saving me from death to life in Jesus? It sounds pretty simple, but I think it's something that's easily forgotten. 
Let this be something we can constantly thank God for. Life, salvation, all secured in Jesus, God's Messiah. And that thankfulness to God for Jesus overflowing in how we view life, in how we respond to good and bad situation. It helps us in the valleys. It helps our mental and emotional well-being. It often gives us a natural sense of joy and assurance that separates people with hope in Jesus from people without hope in Jesus. Thankfulness to God for Jesus. Margaret Cook phoned me on Friday from hospital. Uh, As you've already heard, she's had a rough time uh, over the past week, over the past months. But I picked up the phone. She started talking to me. It's so evident that she's filled with joy and thanksgiving. Her thankfulness to God, not just for a good diagnosis, but primarily for her security in Jesus. It's so overwhelming in her that it just bubbles out, even in the toughness of life. So let me encourage you today to grow and fill your hearts with thankfulness to God for Christ and his salvation. Third and finally, if Jesus is indeed God's Messiah, like Anna in verse 38, we're to speak of Jesus to all. We're to speak of Jesus to all. Imagine if there was a natural disaster. People were injured and dying. The ambulance and the fireys rock up. You'd be shouting, the ambos are here, the fireys are here, the the paramedics are here. We're saved. Salvation is here. Similarly, we're in a world full of people, lost and dying in sin. And we know that the saviour of all peoples has arrived in Jesus. And just like Adda, we're to shout, salvation is here. Good news of life is here. The promised saviour, the rescuer from God is here in Jesus. That's why we have in our mission statement, proclaiming Christ. That's why our vision this year is encountering Jesus That's why we're starting an evangelistic course this year. Because if there's a world out there that's lost and on the road to hell and judgment, and if we truly believe the Savior has come in Jesus, this is news we want to tell others about. This is news that we want to speak of to all, to shout out from the mountains because heaven and hell are real. People are going to one or the other, depending on whether they accept or reject Jesus. Let us be people who speak of Jesus, the Savior to all. As we round off, we've been reminded this morning, as these waiting prophets encounter Jesus, that Jesus is God's long-awaited Messiah. May we also encounter Jesus today by turning to him, giving thanks to God for him, 
and by speaking of him to all. We need God's help to do this, so let's pray to this end. Heavenly Father, we come to you with thankful hearts because you have sent Jesus, your promised Messiah, rescuer, redeemer, comforter, saviour, to save us from our sins by his death and resurrection. Help us, God, today to turn to Jesus afresh. May your spirit fill our hearts with thankfulness for giving us life in Jesus. And Father, let those hearts overflow as we speak of Jesus the Savior to all peoples and to all those around us who are lost and in darkness and in despair without Jesus. Lord God, we ask, may we see breakthroughs and for people to find life as they encounter Jesus and see him as Lord and Saviour. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.